Good evening, I'm Tabby Tyler. And I'm Kate France. And tonight, we talk about historical contraception. So grab a beverage. It's time for a night in. I'm very excited about the news coming out of India. The new form of male birth control. So basically, it's an injection of a polymer gel into the vas deferens, a uh, tube that transports mature sperm to the urethra during ejaculation. And it lasts up to 13 years. It's also easily reversible and could cost as little as $10 in developing countries. Mm, That's so cool. And literally the first proposed form of male-specific birth control, I think a man might be on board with. I mean, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. You have a point. Historically, pregnancy has been viewed as the woman's problem, but people have been trying to avoid having children since the early days of cave paintings and chill. And thus we begin our skinny dip into historical methods of contraception. It's hard to know where to begin, seeing as how, across all cultures throughout all of time, various methods have been employed to prevent pregnancy. Methods that could run the gamut from being totally effective, ineffective, gruesome, unsanitary, or even dangerous. But I suppose, since we're talking about contraception, we should start with the Fertile Crescent. (laughs) Smooth. Smooth. Uh, Specifically, you mean Mesopotamia and ancient Egypt, right? Yes, and the way they used acacia and other ingredients to make vaginal insertions called pessaries to prevent pregnancy or drinkable concoctions that acted as abortifacients or something that causes an abortion. This was around circa 1500 BCE, but there are even earlier documented methods of birth control and references in writing that indicate that family planning or controlling the number of children you have predates written history. Which honestly comes as no surprise. What's more surprising is some of the unsavory methods people would employ. Like the instructions in the ancient Egyptian Cahun papyrus that women should insert crocodile feces and fermented dough into their vaginal cavities to prevent pregnancy. Or in the 600s BCE Asia, when women were prescribed liquid mercury and oil to render themselves sterile. Which is an unfortunate practice, especially when there is evidence of early forms of diaphragms or cervical blockers in Asia. Japanese and Chinese sex workers used to use oiled bamboo paper as a block. Islamic and Greek women were known to use wool, and Slavic women were known to use linen rags. And probably one of the most effective early diaphragms was the sponge. People who lived by the ocean used it, and I mean a literal sea sponge that was placed in front of the cervix to prevent semen from entering the uterus. Women of ancient Greece and Rome used various methods of contraceptives, including the ingestion of a derivative of the plant silphium, which was so popular it was actually harvested to extinction. European pagans were also known for using various herbs as both teas and pessaries, including juniper, pennyroyal, chamomile, and parsley. Condoms are an interesting development in the history of contraception because they became popular in their ability to reduce the spread of STIs. 
The origin of the condom is entirely apocryphal, but the earliest uncontested documentation of its use is in the 1600s, and they were made out of cloth and eventually animal skin. However, their mainstream availability skyrocketed after the ability to vulcanize rubber was developed in the 1800s. <laughs> vulcanize makes me think of Star Trek. And if anyone knows about going above and beyond to get laid, it is certainly the Vulcans. And uh, by the way, the whole condoms protect you from STIs thing was true and is true. And everyone should be using a condom to avoid STIs. Do it. Wrap it up. And oral sex is still unprotected sex. You can absolutely contract an STI through oral sex. Do we want to get into postcoital douches as birth control? Oh, God. Remember when Lysol was repurposed to ensure a woman's feminine beauty and not kill 99.9% .9 of household germs? Blech. There were definitely some things that were clearly invented by men. But we forgot to talk about a method that has withstood the test of time. A classic and well-known method of birth control which is both mentioned in the Old Testament and still used today. Coitus interruptus, aka the pull-out method. Coitus Interruptus sounds like the name of a band. Yeah, but it didn't get much good press in the old days. Apparently, men who spilled their seed were sinful and deserving of death, which means every teenage boy ever is doomed, I guess. Mm, but these grim sentiments are clearly reflective of the desired social policy of the time. There was constant war, famine, and hardship, which necessitated a constant need to replenish the population. Combine that with the idea that it was the responsibility of men to increase the number of followers of God. Funny that they should be so sensitive about a method of birth control that is historically unreliable. My uh, daughter's existence contributing to that fact? But a sperm should not be wasted, Tabby, lest God smite you where you are standing. I'm delighted to be a pagan in this circumstance. This aspect of control is very interesting, though. The idea of controlling a person's reproductive health to reflect the social demand for population. And this idea of controlling reproductive health is seen in many mainstream religious movements throughout history. So much so that the culture of control became built into the framework of suppressive cultural ideals. Initially, pronatal policies were encouraged to balance the number of births to the number of deaths, which were very high in the days of old. But as science and healthcare progressed and life expectancy improved, the reasons for population growth started to change. This is where we talk about the expansion of trade, mercantilism, and the potential fortunes that a large population could bring to an empire. And the European countries were building large, far-reaching empires. The new world economy was booming, and the growth of wealth required that people kept having babies so that more people could create more wealth. And those pro-natal beliefs were present in the attitudes towards family planning at the time. Many philosophers advised against family planning, and over-moralizing doctors connected the idea of contraception with extramarital relationships, or with the desire to enjoy illicit lovemaking, which is evidently a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> Many doctors even believed that pooling out was dangerous to both man and woman, since a man could become nervous and impotent from pulling out, and a woman would miss out on the soothing benefits sperm had on the womb, apparently. Soothing sperm. But as the demand for population grew, the troubles of poverty also grew, and social reformists began to believe that people needed to have less children in order to deliver themselves from the woes of impoverishment. 
In contrast to the imperial belief of population growth emerged the idea of Malthusianism. An idea pioneered by Reverend Thomas Robert Malthus. Have you noticed they always have names like this? Really long, mm-hmm. complicated, vaguely With Latin. a title? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was in his 1798 writings, an essay on the principle of population. He believed that people would eventually outnumber the food supply and argued that people should actually have less babies. And to do that, he thought, well, people should have less sex. Yeah, uh, good luck with that idea. Mm. Eventually, social reformists associated themselves with this movement, and the birth of neo-Malthusianism led to an increased interest in the science of contraception. Because people want to have sex. But it was only the contraception that was new and sciency, and not old and consistent with the knowledge passed down from woman to woman for centuries, because those feminine secrets were not fit to be studied by the gentleman scholar. And here's where you see a purposeful abandonment of knowledge in the 18th and 19th century. This is well documented in a fascinating journal. Which everyone should read. Titled Feminist History of Colonial Science. It's the most riveting scientific journal I've ever read. The author talks about culturally induced ignorance and the dismissal of safe abortifacients discovered during the imperialization of the New World. In the 1700s, explorers noted the use of the seed of the peacock plant to induce abortion by women in the European colonies of the West Indies and South America. These methods were noted to not affect the health of the women, which was counter to the belief at the time that abortion was often fatal to a woman. Yeah, well, go figure when the leading method of abortion at the time was the hand. Oh my god, I almost don't even want to talk about it. My cervix literally shrinks when I think about it. The hand was the leading abortive technique amongst many practitioners, whereby a doctor would slowly force his hand through a woman's cervix, finger by finger, and extract the fetus manually. (laughs) about it it's crazy i mean i'm sorry but to think that a physician would be aware of an herbal method to induce abortion until can still consider the hand as the appropriate form of intervention makes me think that old-time doctors were professional sadists and they knew about herbs they just refused to use them i'm gonna join your nurse rage and just tell you that there's a story about a physician in the west indies who documented the use of herbs by women to induce abortion there in a similar way european women use juniper and still he preferred the hand a lot of this behavior was dictated by the notion that women using herbal methods were naturally licentious there was no positive acknowledgement of the cultural indication of such methods The Europeans viewed indigenous people as savages, and the desire of women to practice family planning in the context of her culture was viewed as uncivilized. Then there's the added complexity of the use of abortifacients amongst the slave population in the West Indies as a means of revolt against slaveholders. Women did not want to bring children into slavery, and often induced abortion to prevent this from happening. The action of abortion affected the bottom line of imperialism and was fundamentally in contrast to the imperialist belief that manpower equals profit. And as resources were transferred from the New World to the Old World, the abortive plant itself made it to Europe as an ornamental, but the knowledge of its use as a safe abortive agent did not transfer. To quote the journal we're referring to, 18th century experimental physicians stood at a fork in the road with respect to abortifacients. They could have chosen the road toward development and testing of safe and effective abortive techniques. They chose, however, 
the road towards suppression of these knowledges and practices, end quote. And fast forward to today, war control is still in the hands of old white men. If you think about how gender politics in the 18th and 19th century controlled the progress of family planning, and then think about how today there's still such contention on what a woman can and can't do with her body, it's easy to see how little progress we've made in the last few hundred years in regard to social prejudices around sexuality. And you can see how the framework for control that was set in place thousands of years ago still plays a role in the way people in power dictate liberty. In the 20th century, efforts to circumvent the limited availability of contraception were taken up by social reformers, among them Margaret Sanger. Sanger actually popularized the term birth control. She opened the first birth control clinic in the United States and eventually laid the groundwork for the organization that would become known as Planned Parenthood. Yo. She was a radical. Especially because she was attempting to spread education during the time of the Comstock Act. She was eventually prosecuted for her pamphlet, Family Limitation, and fled to England until she could safely return home. She was instrumental in the progress towards eventual legalization of birth control in the United States. And though she did hold some pretty terrible classist beliefs throughout her lifetime, she also wrote some interesting educational pamphlets. The following is a quote from Family Limitations. Don't be over-sentimental in this important phase of hygiene. The inevitable fact is that unless you prevent the male sperm from entering the womb, you are going to become pregnant. Women of the working class, especially wage workers, should not have more than two children at most. The average working man can take care of no more in decent fashion. The working woman can use direct action by refusing to supply the market with children to be exploited, by refusing to populate the earth with slaves. It is also the one most direct method for you working women to help yourself today. End quote. I get it now, Tabby. There has always been a conservative and liberal battle over all aspects of everything. The party names change. But there's always one and the other. It's like an endless war over ideology. And one thing that has remained even more true throughout history is the male determination to claim dominion over the realm of reproduction. Which is why they're not going to take an injection in their vast deference. You know, I'm cautiously optimistic that men with children already may find this option appealing. Especially if they get woken up at five in the morning every day by said children. A shot in the crotch will sound like a small price to pay to avoid that happening again. (laughs) The future is feminist. Thank you, as always, for listening in to our show. We hope you enjoyed tonight's history of contraception (laughs) Mm. there was a lot of that that i did not enjoy no i don't ever want to think about the hand ever again the hand all i can think of is jim carrey in the mask (laughs) the hand (laughs) was it the mask i know it was some other no liar uh, liar no Mm. whatever whatever jim carrey (laughs) movie is it's just the hand is forever ruined for me yeah no (laughs) forget hands no hands but you know what i did enjoy Last week's episode of Model Memoirs. Oh, I loved it. And uh, the new episode's out on Thursday this week, second episode. Yes. So please follow Model Memoirs and A Night In on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Tyler and France, F-R-A-N-T-Z. Or the Model Memoirs podcast. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful night. Hey, see you next week. Bye.